Well, if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Psalm 12. Psalm 12. And we're going to be reading a Psalm of David. And when I first moved to this Psalm, uh, my Nelson Study Bible, it had, um, it had a description. I just want to talk about that. Um, it, what did it say? It said uh, something like the pride of man and the constancy of God. Okay? And it, and it struck me because we don't often use the word constancy. We, we use the word consistency. So it just kind of struck me. And constancy, it means the quality of being faithful and dependable. The quality of being faithful and dependable. And I want to give you a little background as why we're kind of stepping into this today. Um, every new year and every fall, we like to kind of readdress our vision. Our vision statement is we aspire to be a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus, encounter his love, and look more and more like him each day. And so I was, wanted to look up the word safety. And so I went onto my Logos Bible software and I put in the word safety and it gives me a pretty comprehensive list of where that word is used. And Psalm 12 is one of the references that came up. And as I read it, I, I just, it just resonated with me. It struck me. The latter part of Psalm 12.5 uh, speaks of the Lord setting the oppressed into the safety that he or she yearns for. And as we begin the new year, I, I hope that unpacking this psalm will encourage you as it's encouraged me. And my prayer is that together we would be inspired to continue the good fight. You know, it's, it said, do, do, not, do not grow weary in well-doing. Well, the reason that was said is because there's a propensity to grow weary in doing well, in well-doing, in, in chasing after this mission that we've been caught up into and inspired towards. And my prayers together, we'd be inspired to be, continue the good fight and to continue thriving in our walk with God. So let's invite the Holy Spirit. Let's, let's pray a dangerous prayer. That Holy Spirit, you would take your word, you would reveal it to our hearts, and you'd change something deep within us. That you would teach us something profound about what you're doing in this season and in this time, both in our lives as individuals, as families, but corporately together in community as well. We pray this, this dangerous prayer, Lord, that you would change us, that you would search us, that you would know us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to read through as the psalmist kind of intended. I don't have a five-stringed harp instrument to go with this, so you'll have to excuse me. That's how David would have done it. But let's just read through this. If you have it, Psalm 12, starting verse 1. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. 
I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl as vileness exalts among the children of men. Now, if you're taking notes, I'm going to ask you to write this down. And and if you're not taking notes, I'm going to ask you to write this down. It's important that that we engage these moments, these times together corporately in the word of God. And note-taking is just a great discipline to be a part of that. So write this down. It's the constancy of God's truth that creates safety. It's the constancy. It's the consistency of God's truth that creates safety. And this psalm, this psalm is, is called a psalm of lament, And to lament is to passionately express grief and sorrow. I don't know if you notice this. David seems to do it a lot. And the structure of a lament in the Psalms often looks like this. This one doesn't have all the elements, but here are just some of the elements. There's an introductory cry. There's a crying out. And then it goes into the lament proper. And those elements, they have elements like, I am hurting, you don't care, the enemy is winning. Um, If you want to illustrate a lament proper, just go to like a two-year-old and take their lollipop away, okay? You'll see all the elements of lament in that moment. You'll see, I am hurting, you don't care, the enemy is winning. And then a third part is, is a confession of trust. The lament is a journey. It doesn't stay in lament, but it's a journey. And then there's a a confession of trust and reasons for God to act, which lead to petitions like, hear me, save me, punish them. And finally, a vow to praise God. And these are often how lament kind of breaks down. And why is this important? Because we often don't give permission to Christians to lament. And yet we see David does it all the time. And, 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 and what did God call David? What, what, what did he say about David? He's a man after my own heart. And yet David lamented all the time. There's a power in lament as we, as we take a journey of lament. And so there's the introductory cry. It says, save, O Lord. You know, help! Carrie Underwood, she said, she said it this way, Jesus, take the wheel. There's this introductory cry, and David seems desperate to get God's attention. He cries out, and then, and then we begin to see him lament before God. We begin to see him. Um, so he says, for, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. Notice all the hyperbole that he's using. Notice all the exaggeration. All the Christians are gone. You know, all the godly ones are gone. A bit of an overstatement. bit of a reach. It's an exaggeration of reality. No one remains faithful to God. 
Everyone utters lies. He's using exaggeration. He's at a place where he just needs to vent. He needs to get it out with, with hyperbole, with exaggeration. Do you remember your last pity party? We've talked about this before. But typically during your pity party, that's when you exaggerate the most, right? Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. Nothing ever works out for me, right? We use hyperbole. We exaggerate reality. And can I just say, perhaps, perhaps that's okay. Can I just say that? Perhaps God knows that as human beings, we need these moments of lament, these moments to over-exaggerate our true reality, but to just speak it out, to cry it out, instead of the alternative of packing it down and keeping it in. And who better to lament to than the creator of all things? Who better to lament to than the one who extended grace and mercy towards us through his son, Jesus. Who better to lament to? And so David cries out. But it's a good starting point. Lament can be a good starting point. So don't beat yourself up too much for those moments when you begin to speak in the extremes of your situation, because David did it all the time. But ask yourself this, are you on the journey of lament, or are you camped out in the valley of lament? Because there's a big difference. Are you on the journey of lament? Is this your starting place? And we'll talk about that journey as we move forward. Or are you camped out in the valley of lament? Has your lament become the place of depression and hopelessness and darkness? I want to take a moment to just speak to the reality that David is laying out. Thousands of years ago, he writes these words. And, and, and as I read this psalm, I so resonate with the cry of David's heart. When I look around the landscape of our town and our province, our nation, it can feel a little bit like this is our reality. I can resonate with the words of David, help, Lord, for the godly ones are gone. The Christian man and women, woman are gone. The, the church is shrinking. Or if we're lucky, is, is plateaued locally, nationally, in the West. The Christian has become the minority in Canada. In some ways, I can resonate with the lament that David speaks with his exaggerations of the godly ones are gone. Now, I want to say this, I'm talking about the West because globally, Christianity's doing well. But in our context, in the place that God saw fit to cause us to live, we've entered a interesting season of the church. And it can feel overwhelming. For some who have, have roots of faith that have been shallow, it can and it, and it has swallowed them up. During this Christmas season, we talked about making room for grief in our lives. Making room for grief. Being allowed to, to grieve and to lament as part of the process. 
and we don't ignore the realities around us, I think that we need to make room to grieve where we find ourselves as a society and as a culture and as the church of Jesus. I think that's okay. It's okay to lament that. It's okay to grieve that. But how many know we do not camp out in lament? We journey through lament. And so verse 3 to 4 says this, May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us. Who is master over us? A profound statement of pride. There's something powerful about the tongue. James James writes this about the tongue in James 3, 3 to 6. He puts it this way, when we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Wow, James, those are strong words. Those are strong words about the tongue. Much like David, we can attest to the power of the tongue and the influence it has over us, over society, over our families. We, we, we've, we've come to this place in society where, where we believe, we truly believe, not in the church. I'm talking about just the patterns of the world right now within our Western society. We truly believe. If I can say something loud enough, long enough, and sincere enough, it can be true. If I can speak of what's in me, it can be true. If I can influence others to say the same thing or or influence an entire generation to speak the same words or ideas, they become truth, quote unquote. But this is the pride of man at work. This is the pride of man. This is as old as sin itself. And David, he puts the hammer on the nail with this assessment when he says, our lips are our own. And he's speaking in light of those around him. And they're saying, our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? In other words, I will speak my reality into being so that I do not have to submit myself to a higher truth or a higher person of truth. This is original sin. This is the great archangel Lucifer's fall from grace as he says to himself, I will become like God. I've become rather interested in the world events over the last few years, much, much more than I've been in the past. And it's, it's a very interesting development and predicament that, that we find ourselves, in, in particular as a church. And maybe as a pastor, I'm a little more sensitive to this um, because kind of this is my world. And so just we live in this area of what I would call the upside-down ethic. The upside-down ethic. 
the enemy of our souls, he, he knows what he's doing. Since the time of, of what we would call the Enlightenment, we've seen this trend that has seen moral absolutism. In other words, uh, moral truths that are absolute, that are unmoving. We, we begin to see within our culture these moral absolutes as the enemy of progress. To the point where we find ourselves in this upside-down ethic where, where once the Judeo-Christian faith was like this bastion of truth, we are now unethical according to what is spoken within society. We are now the immoral ones. We are now positioned in this upside-down ethic. So what's the point? What am I trying to say? In an upside-down ethic that is determined by our own humanity, we can say our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? We can echo the words of Lucifer on that day when he said, I will be like God and he will not reign over me. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. The words that we speak. And here's where we see David, he switches gears. In verse 5 to 6, he says, Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. This is the great intervention. This is the reality and truth that God is faithful to keep, protect, and uphold his people. The intervention is really the, the realignment of our hearts and our minds to the place of truth and to the character of God. And I want you to notice the overkill. David loves his exaggerations, but he's making a point. I want you to notice the overkill of the refinement process he speaks of when it comes to the silver. He says, like silver, refined seven times. Okay, just so you know, silver doesn't need to be refined up to seven times typically. But he's making a point. Why does he speak seven times? Seven often, when we look through scripture, seven seems to be this number that God references to kind of illustrate completeness perfection, wholeness. And he's saying, my word is like silver that's been refined, like overkill refined, seven times to completeness, to wholeness, to purity. That's what my truth is like. That's the metaphor for my truth. And in seasons and times where the words and the truths and the principles of God were adhered to, we see great blessing when we look at history. We see advances spiritually and culturally and philosophically and scientifically. And when we see a de deviation away from these truths, these moral absolutes, these ways and principles of living life that, that are external, that God has given us, 
we see a breakdown in social fabric, a breakdown in culture. There's something telling about history. I was interested to see what Wikipedia's take um, on the role of Christianity and civilization was. So I, I just kind of typed that in, and it was interesting just to read, and I want to read just an excerpt. It says, The role of Christianity and civilization has been intricately intertwined with the history and formation of Western society. Throughout its long history, the church has been a major source of social services like schooling and medical care, inspiration for art, culture, and philosophy, an influential player in politics and religion. In various ways, it has sought to affect Western attitudes to vice and virtue in diverse fields. Festivals like Easter and Christmas are marked as public holidays. The Gregorian calendar has been adopted internationally as a civil calendar. And the calendar itself is measured from the date of Jesus' birth. It goes on to speak of institutions, of schools and university. It speaks of, of literacy, that our ability to continue to propagate reading and writing and language happened primarily through the church over the scope of time. And what was the impetus to it all? The impetus, the, the catalyst, the thing that drove these men and women to continue to walk towards, it was truth. It was these moral absolutes. It was a standard that was external, given to us by a creator God. It was both the written word and the person of truth, Jesus Christ. And I want you just to hear this, and a particularly young person, I want you to hear this because society is going to say so many things to you. But as our society celebrates what they call the enlightenment, and this fairly new experiment of secularism, one can't help but think that we wouldn't be even to an enlightenment, quote and unquote, or this experiment of secularism, this removal of God from the equation, without these timeless external truths. These timeless external truths that were passed down and adhered to over the course of history are the very thing that have brought us to a society where people can choose to remove God from the equation. It's the constancy of God's truth that creates safety. Now, don't miss this. It's, just, it's not just the constancy of it being spoken generation after generation. I'm not just talking about the constancy of this being a tradition that we have held on to for thousands and thousands of years, okay? I'm not just talking about the propagation of this idea or this, this truth, but I'm talking about the constancy of outcome, the consistency of outcome that when societies and communities and families and people adhere to the principles and the truths in this word, that the outcome was so much greater and purer and there was wholeness and there was stability, there was a refuge, there was safety in that way of living and moving and interacting with those around us. The safety comes when we lean on what is solid and unmoving and true. And so be encouraged, church, because in a culture and society 
where, where what is true is constantly moving based on the majority or the loudest minority or on our feelings or the people that are, that pe- people are hungry in the midst of all of this, the moving landscape of what is right and what is wrong and the ethics and the morality and the upside down ethic. Listen, be encouraged because people are going to quickly see through the chaos And they're going to be hungry for a bastion of truth, a place that is solid, unmoving, unwavering, a place where they can really build something of meaning. We have an awesome privilege to be living today, to be gathered as the church of Jesus Christ today. We have an opportunity to hold up a standard of truth and say there is a better way. It's your testimony. It's your story that will reveal the solid ground, not just found in in truth, but in the person of truth, Jesus. There are still those today who perhaps are far from God, but they remain on a quest for what is true. They're on a journey to find that safe place where they know that they know that they know that they are on solid ground to be able to begin to build their lives on something so much bigger and greater than themselves. I'm convinced that that place is in the loving embrace of Father God through Jesus Christ, his son. We know the principles of the word are the groundwork that make way for fulfillment, life, and peace in this troubled world. They are the external now, I want you to catch this. They are the external source of truth passed down to us by the one who created us and knows best how his creation can live. It's the constancy of God's truth that creates safety. And David wraps up, verse 7, you, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side, the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of man. David ends his lament with a declaration of the faithfulness of God. It's an encouragement to generations past and present and Lord willing generations to come. The Lord will keep us. The Lord will keep us even in the midst of this reality. Notice how he ends. Verse 7 is, is kind of the upswing. You know, you, O Lord, will keep us. You will guard us from this generation, right? Just, that's the upswing. That's the encouragement. But notice how he literally ends it. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of men. So this lament brings us from exaggeration on one part about the reality of the circumstance to the moving of God and how God is moving and his faithfulness in the midst. But then it ends not with an exaggeration, but with the reality of the world that we still live in. Contrasted with the faithfulness of God to keep us. The Lord will keep us. Even in the midst of this reality that on every side the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of men, yet our God will guard you. It's the constancy of God's truth that creates 
safety. So why do I bring this word to you today? What's, what's the point of all of this? Well, I wanted to give some definition to the word safety that we use on a regular basis when we, when we talk about our vision as a church together, as community. Evangel aspires to be a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus, encounter his love, and look more and more like him each day. And often we hear the word safe, particularly within Christian kind of situations, and, and we can't or we won't reconcile it with the Christian faith. You know, we'll, we'll say things like, I had somebody come to me, um, not from this church, um, it was actually a family member, um, and they said, you can't talk about safety. We were never called to safety. We we're never called to be safe. And I, I get that. I get. And so I wanted to find what we're talking about when it comes to safety. When we talk about being safe, we're talking about remaining unwavering and steadfast in the bastion of truth that God has given to us through his word. When we talk about being a safe place, we're talking about being, remaining consistently adhered to the external truths that have been given to us by God our creator. When we talk about being safe, we're talking about being a people full of grace and full of love extended to others. Embracing everyone, whether they deserve it or not. Because that's what grace did for us. When we say a safe place, we're not talking about shying away from the truth. We're not talking about watering it all down so we can be palpable to society. Because it's the constancy, it's the consistency, it's the purity of God's truth that creates safety. If we want to be safe, we need to cling to the truth of Scripture. We need to cling to what God says about living and life and relationships and this great mission that we've been called up into. If we want to be safe, we need to cling to truth. 2019 is about serving the mission of the gospel of Jesus. 2019 is about being called up in the mission of preaching the gospel of being those that live lives that are peculiar, that are different, that reflect a different way of living because we operate to an external truth, not out of our feelings, not out of what's popular even, but rather clinging to what we know God has said about living and life and relationships, showing people that the outcomes of a life submitted to truth are rich and free, full of joy and peace. Don't be shy about talking about this God who has revealed to you a better way. Speak truth in love, full of grace, because it's the constancy of God's truth that creates safety. I'm going to ask the worship team to come at this time. And I, want, I just want to say, because we're very Canadian. How many know that our, our society and culture influences the way we sort of filter, right? When we, when we approach scripture, when we approach different things, the, the way we were brought up, 
uh, the kind of the culture around it, often it can filter our perspectives. And as Canadians, um, I think in many ways we've been taught to really step back from proselytizing, okay, of, of speaking about our faith in Jesus. We, we kind of step back, and, and, we, and we use scriptures like, well, you know what Paul said, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone around you, right? Okay, so, so we use stuff like that to kind of pull away from, from speaking. You know, we'll use Francis Assisi who said, um, you know, preach the gospel at all times, and if you must, use words. You know, how many have heard that one before? Listen, that, that's... Yes, live your life according to truth because that's going to be a testimony that you're living for something different than everybody else. But speak truth. Listen, Paul, Paul said, as much as it depends on you, live at harmony. You know, we like that as Canadians. Live in harmony and just kumbaya with everybody as much as it depends on you. And Paul's the same guy that started riots by speaking truth. Don't believe me? Read about Paul's time in Athens. He started a complete riot in the city because he was standing and speaking truth in grace and love. He wasn't being obnoxious. But here's the nature of truth. When you speak truth, it's going to be polarizing. You have to just, you just have to come to terms with that. You just have to. If, if you're going to be effective in the harvest field, you just have to come to terms with some people are going to hate you and revile you, those scriptures say. Jesus himself stood for, spoke truth, lived truth, and they killed him. You just have to, you're just going to have to wrestle that to the ground. But God has called us as a community of faith, 2019, to the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there are neighbors, co-workers, friends, peers. They are looking for a bastion of truth. They're looking for something they can build their lives on and they haven't found it because the world doesn't offer it. But you found it. So go tell them about it. And so Lord, as we just finish today, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to step into this story that's so much bigger than just our story or our family story, our church's story or, or our province's. Lord, this is, this is a story of this, of this world, of this universe that spans generations from the beginning all the way to the end. And Lord, you put us in this time, in this place, in this season of Canada of Powell River, of BC. You placed us here. Give us the boldness, Lord, to stand for truth. Lord, not as obnoxious people, but rather, Lord, as people full of grace, full of love, 
convinced that they know that they know that they know the living God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.